This episode of the RPG Academy podcast is brought to you by Beings from Beyond. Beyond the veil that lies between worlds are beings of unimaginable power. Some are creatures of blazing beauty and transcendent revelation. Others are stains upon the fabric of reality itself, unspeakable entities before whom eons are instants and whose dark designs span the universe. Beings from Beyond is your guide to these entities, known to mortals as angels, demons, and devils. Part bestiary, part setting guide, and part adventure generator, the full book will be at least 135 pages in a starkly beautiful black and white style. Michael interjecting, the art's cool. Go to the Kickstarter, check it out. I love the art. Within its pages are scores of random tables for generating everything from the schemes of devilish masterminds to extra-dimensional paradises, reimagined mechanics ranging from summoning to madness, and plenty of evocative lore to help you involve these awe-inspiring creatures in your tabletop role-playing adventures. Statistics are included for 5th edition, but the book is compatible with any fantasy role-playing system. If wonders and horrors from other dimensions interest you, please check out Beans from Beyond's Kickstarter page. There will be links in the show notes. It has already funded about four times over, but there's still plenty of time for more backers and stretch goals. A recent stretch goal that was unlocked includes a new system for generating adventures inside a city-sized demonic behemoth and running battles within it and its ever-adapting immune systems. Once again, thank you to Beans from Beyond for sponsoring this episode. And now, on to the show. And welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. I am Michael, and tonight I am joined with a very special guest co-host, Tracy Barnett, known as at the other Tracy on the Twitters. Uh, Tracy is a game designer and a podcaster with the other cast, and I'm sure you do a bunch of other things that we will talk about. But Tracy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Michael. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, we uh, we've had you on for a film studies. We did the Clue episode, which was fantastic, in my opinion. Um, have you have you been on for anything else we've done? Because I feel like we've tried. I don't know if we ever made it happen before. Uh, like ships passing in the night. I've only been on the film studies. Uh, all right, all right. Well, this has obviously changed that, and perhaps in the future we can get some other things going as well. Um, yeah. I know we have some common interests. We both like to podcast, actual play. So you know, it it should happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, before we get too far into things, I always like to remind people uh, we do still have our Twitch follower giveaway we're working on. Once we get to 500 followers on Twitch, we're going to give away a copy of the D&D Rule Cyclopedia. Um, this is the print-on-demand version available through DriveThruRPG. It's like a 30 buck value. Um, this is one of the ga- books I had as a, as a kid that I loved. and just there, I have a lot of nostalgia for this version. Uh, so when it was finally available again, I picked it up and... I may never play it, but I love having it. So I would wanted to share that with someone else. So if we ever get to 500, we're going to give one away. Uh, hopefully that will happen sooner rather than later. Nice. Uh, so with all of that out of the way, we're going to start off talking about Iron Etta. Now, this is a game that I know you've been working on for a while. It, you you play tested it back at the Catacon like two years ago, I believe. Um, you recently went to Kickstarter. You worked with Encoded Designs, friends of the show. Um, and uh, it's it's a real thing now. It's available right now for purchase. So for anyone who might be unfamiliar with what Ironetta is, what's the scoop? So Ragnarok happened in the form of 50-foot-tall metal dwarven destroyers rising out of the ground. And humanity said, oh, gods, oh, gods, what do we do? And Loki said, hey, 
I have this thing that I totally didn't steal from the dwarves that will let you take the spirits of your bravest warriors and bond them to the bones of dead giants. And you can make this your own personal Pacific Rim. Okay, so that, there's a lot to unpack there. Sounds yep. very cool. Uh, so I guess my first question is, where did this idea come from? Do you have a particular history or interest in like the Norse mythology? Was it just like a fever dream? Uh, it was a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. <laughs> um, so back in uh, 2012, 2013, uh, it had to be 2013, I signed on to do a stretch goal for a fate uh, Kickstarter uh, called Apotheosis Drive X. And uh, I, it was a mecha RPG. And I didn't know mecha stuff too well. Like I have never watched Gundam Wing. I know that uh, it's, uh, there are plenty of people out there who might have opinions about the fact that I've never watched Gundam Wing. Sure. Uh, but still. Um, so I, I thought about what, what do I know? And I know fantasy. And I was playing a lot of Skyrim at the time. Okay. Uh, still do play a lot of Skyrim. And I started thinking about what it would be like if the all the dwarven technology that's underground in that setting made it up to the surface and how humanity would react. And, of course, it would have to be much bigger in scale because everything has to be bigger and better. And having people fight on dragons has been done. Mm-hmm. And so giants were the next logical conclusion, but dead giants are even cooler. <laughs> Um, and that's really where it all snowballed. Uh, so I wrote a very small version for that. Uh, it never got published for a variety of reasons, but then I turned it into a fully fleshed out game uh, called Iron Edda War of Metal and Bone that I kickstarted in 2014 and published and didn't market well. And it it was a good game, but it, I, I just didn't, I didn't treat it the way it should have been treated because it's very new at all this stuff. And had a lot more uh, excitement than I had since. Okay, so, yeah. Um, so a couple of years ago, I reached out to Encoded Designs because I know uh, a lot of the folks there through my work with Gnome Stew. And I, I knew this game needed a second chance. I knew it needed um, for me not to be doing all of the work of the publishing side of things. Sure. So I worked out a deal with them. Um, wrote a new version of the game, uh, same fate mechanics, but this time based on fate accelerated, um, as is found in Dresden files accelerated. So things are like archetype based. And when you use your powers, they have ways you have to recover them. There are things you have to do. And that gave everything narrative teeth that the original version didn't have. So instead of just willy nilly summoning the bones of a dead giant, like now to, get back your boxes of that power you have to indulge in the giant's worldly desire so for example if that's something like pyromania you have to figure out how to burn things in a giant fashion so big big fires that doesn't endanger you and yours right (laughs) so with a lot of the destinies in that game which is what i call the archetypes there is a lot of give and take about you can use your power but you have a, a home that you're part of and, and how do you navigate all of that? Um, okay. It, it plays a lot more cleanly. Uh, people can grok what's going on with it a lot more easily. It's the version of the game that I wanted to write originally, but had no idea how to do. And so I'm super thrilled that uh, it's doing uh, as well as it is. Like it seems to have gotten a pretty good reaction with the launch yesterday. And uh, I'm excited for people to have a chance to play it. All right. And again, if people wanted to go buy it right now, where would they go? 
uh, DriveThruRPG is where it's for sale. You can get the PDF uh, for $15, and then there are also softcover and hardcover uh, options available. Uh, full color, pretty book. It's a very pretty book. Um, but yeah, you can just look up uh, either Encoded Designs on uh, DriveThru, or you can look up Iron Edda Accelerated. Um, and uh, yeah. Okay. Now, I uh, I have a bit of a, a rocky history with Fate. Uh, I've talked about it many times, and I don't know if you've listened to all of our episodes. Fine if you haven't. Uh, but I've said many times that reading the core Fate book made me a drastically better game master. Like, it, it really sort of opened my eyes to different ways to run, which I traditionally run D&D, but I think I run D&D much better now because of things I've incorporated from Fate. But I've never played a game of Fate that I particularly enjoyed. Uh, and there's a disconnect there, and I'm still I, I kind of have an idea, but it's not solidified. But what is it about fate that attracted you to make that the basis for this game? Was it a convenience, or did you really like how that game allowed you to mechanically attach things? What what was it there? Uh, so the stretch goal that I originally wrote this for was based on fate, so I had to. Oh, okay. So so, so that was the genesis. But I was interested in doing the stretch goal because I learned how to play fate thanks to my friend Morgan Ellis. Uh, Morgan is uh, a California-based uh, tabletop game designer. He has done a lot of work with Evil Hat over the years, including working on Shadow of the Century that just came out. And Morgan is one of like the best Fate GMs that you can get in the world. Okay. And so I played a game of the original Dresden Files RPG at Gen Con with him probably in 2012 and it changed the way that I thought about games uh, because the way that the aspects in fate work is there are always those moments as a player when you, you want to be able to load up for the big hit, right? Where you want to be able to unleash the fury of your god-blessed sword upon your enemy and in a a game like dungeons and dragons which fifth edition is a little better about this you can have the story building up to that moment and building up to that moment and you can absolutely just roll a one on the die and there's no recourse all the wind is just out of your sails um with fate your aspects can make sure that don't happen especially because you can create narrative aspects on the scene in the environment that you're in as like setup shots. So there was a moment in this first game of Dresden Files that I played where we were taking on a black court vampire and I had uh, this this sword uh, of legend, right? Even though I'm a very minorly powerful character. And so I had like five fate points in my hand uh, because I had been compelled a few times on my aspects um there were advantages sitting around the environment so i roll up on this vampire and i think i invoked like five or six different aspects which added like a plus 12 to my role <laughs> in fate the ladder of success stops at eight yeah. in terms of like naming the things so i hit this thing hard now i was a minorly powered character i didn't take him out in one shot but narratively, it was so satisfying mm-hmm. for me. And that interplay of you being able to set things up to either take a big shot yourself or help your allies take a big shot, um, 
being able to skip the minutia of, okay, well, I need to buy uh, 20 arrows and a set of leather armor. You just create an advantage in fate that says, I have, you know, a backpack of supplies. And then whatever is narratively necessary from that backpack of supplies, yeah, sure, you pull out a rope and grappling hook. Mm-hmm. Cool. That was what your spend of that invocation means. Um, so it it's an interplay of mechanics and narrative that just really clicked with me. Okay. It, it just works really, really well. And, um, you know, it, it takes no small amount of hubris to sit for me to say this, but um, let me run a game of Ironetta for you. And I think I might change your mind. I would be, I would love that. Absolutely. <laughs> would love to do that. <clears throat> you, you talked about how, again, D and D you can build up those moments and they fail. I, I have a, a very strong memory of a game I was running in college where I had set up this world where like a shadow alternate evil world was encroaching on our world. And these shadow versions of everything were, were crossing over. And uh, it would, we had built to the end where the PCs, there was basically, it was like almost like a crystal ball where the shadow world was coming out of. And I told her, it's like, all you gotta do is everyone has to hit it together and it will shatter. Mm-hmm. And no less than eight rounds we couldn't get everyone to hit it. It's it's these or it's a, you know his armor class was like ten. It wasn't hard to hit, but invariably one person would just miss. Mm-hmm. Uh, now today I would have handled that much differently, but at the time I was like, all right, everybody roll, and one person would get a three. It's like okay, and I mean it just completely destroyed the epic feel because they still won, but it was just like wah wah wah, and just everything I built to was eradicated. Yeah. Uh, so just so I completely get what you're talking about, how you can use you have the narrative weight and sort of momentum. You may not win with that attack or that action, mm-hmm. but you're not going to have that very unheroic moment unless you're playing a comedy game and that's part of it. That's cool. But yeah. in a semi serious dramatic moment, the hero doesn't fail there. At least Right. Most of the time, again, and the types of games I like to run, the types of stories I like to participate in, the hero is going to succeed in that moment, at least mm-hmm. to some level. Yeah, even <clears throat> if that success comes at a cost, or if it doesn't quite go the way that you expected it to, there's still some success. And at its core, fate is a game about capable people succeeding. In mm-hmm. fate core, it's very often succeeding at a cost to themselves, mm-hmm. which is part of the fun of it for me because it has mixed successes like a powered by the apocalypse game mm-hmm. might have right where you can get what you want but not the way you wanted it mm-hmm. um and then of course because it's my game i wrote ionetta accelerated to be the kind of fate game that i want to play so what i didn't do the first time around is i didn't include the sort of guidelines to replicate the experience of what it was like when i was the one running the game for someone okay and Ironetta Accelerated let me have a chance to do that because I'd realized the mistake. And so when I put stuff in the how to GM chapter, you know, how to run this game, what to do with it, um, I made sure to think about the things that I actually did at the table at conventions in my home game and put them into the rules because it's a rules-inclusive book. Everything you need to run it is in the one the one tome. So I, it was very intentional. I, I want someone to be able to sit down and read it and walk away with the same uh, experience and the same look on their face that I see happen at conventions when I run it. Nice. Very cool. Now, so so you wrote, essentially you wrote the game kind of twice. 
Um, <laughs> so what, well, and you probably kind of already answered this. Let me ask it differently. Uh, I'm sure you're going to work on other games. Hint, hint. We're going to talk about some in a minute. Um, is there any lessons that you've learned that you're now taking in to this next creation, whatever it is, that you might share with someone out there who's getting ready to write their first game? Um, it is, it's one thing to have the mechanics of the game represent what you want to represent. It's another thing to try and uh, put into words how to make the story work the way that you want it to work at the table, right? And you can write a bunch of GM advice and you can write uh, a bunch of like example text of like, um, you know, what it's like for players to have a conversation about the different stuff. Um, but until you play your own game, until you watch other people run your game, you won't know where those missing holes are, right? You won't know where the gaps are. So take the time to figure that out unless it's not that kind of game because there are games that you can just write and publish and be done with. There are one-page games that you know can create an emotional moment and that's all you're looking for. It's for one person to play by themselves or it's a one shot for two or three people to play and that's it. That's different than a game that is intended to be for campaign play. That has to take the dynamics of a table into account. Mm -hmm. um, so learn what the core of your actual game is, what, you, what emotional responses you want people to have and design towards that all the time. Let that be your 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 light your lamppost right always come back to that if what you're doing is not reinforcing that then you're missing the mark in my opinion all right so and, and i don't want to really put you on the spot and if you'd rather move on we can but can you give an example of how you did that with ironetta like one situation or like a rule or something that was added in specifically to address that mm -hmm. definitely so like i mentioned before most of the destinies in ironetta to to use a lot of power there's a price attached to it. Um, I mentioned the bone bonded before, but uh, another example is the seer, right? Seer magic in Ironetta uh, is the manipulation of the strands of fate. So if a seer wants to change the course of a river, they don't reach out with power right then and there and divert the course of the river. They reach back in time and pluck the strand of fate that causes the pebble to fall that makes the little rivulet of water run a different direction. Okay. And the river was always like that. When seers don't do well on their roles and have to succeed at a cost when they're using that big magic, um, fate sort of snaps back on them a little bit and people around them can tell. So they're, they have a condition called mistrusted. And as that gets boxes in it, their social interactions become more mechanically difficult. And as a result, they also become more narratively difficult because if everyone's buying into the story, everyone's sort of feeding into that moment. So the first time a seer has that happen and they go to the, the butcher that, where they always get their, their meat once a week and suddenly the butcher's looking at them sideways and they, they never did before. Like that's a moment of resonance and the player should be asking themselves, okay, that's awkward. Like I don't like that. Um, do I lean into that and keep drawing on this power that can cause these things to happen around me? 
or do I be more judicious with its use and not make my actual life in this place difficult? And those kinds of questions crop up with a bunch of the different destinies. Okay. All right. Very good. First of all, I love the idea that the Seer's magic goes back in time. Like, I just love that. So very cool. Very cool. Um, so awesome. Again, we had a few people have joined now that weren't here earlier. If people want to go get Iron Edda right now, where would they go? Uh, you can head to drivethroughrpg.com and you can search for Iron Edda Accelerated. And there is where you will find it. Excellent. So this this episode, obviously, we're live now on Twitch. You'll be mm-hmm. on YouTube. There'll be an audio only version that comes out next week. I'll have links. Anything that you want me to link to shoot them to me, I'll add them to the show notes. So if you're listening to this on our feed, you can go click right now in the show notes and there'll be a link directly to it. Make it easy for you to buy. Again, the PDF is 15 and there are soft and hardcover versions available. You've got it. Perfect. All right. So awesome. Again, I'm going to hold you to it between Gen Con and a Catacon. Um, run a game of Ironetta. I'd love to play it. Absolutely. We can, we can make this happen. I Man. mean, and for crying out loud, we only live physically like an hour and a half away from each other. That's, so. that's true. We could just make a weekend of it at some point or even mm-hmm. just a, an afternoon and make that happen. Um, but you, you mentioned when we were talking before we got onto the air that you're actually in the process of working on another game. Mm -hmm. All I know is the name Valkyries. Um, so again, kind of similar in uh, tone and theme here. Um, so what is Valkyries? So Valkyries is a sort of, uh, science fantasy game that is heavily inspired by the Borderlands, uh, franchise. Okay. If, if, if there are two... Uh, narrative-based games that own my heart. They're Skyrim and Borderlands 2. So, of course, I wanted to make one that was sort of an homage to that uh, to that universe. Um, but as it's gone through development, like that was the initial inspiration, and it's changed a lot. Um, so the idea is that the Valkyries... Um, I don't like the phrase super soldiers, but that's effectively what they were. There was a galactic war going on there was uh, an, an empire that was being fought against and the valkyries were hidden in stasis as you know sort of a uh the the last trump card of the resistance and then the war ended and no one got them out of stasis <laughs> whoops so 500 years later they're found and the entire known galaxy has basically been colonized like thanks star wars there's people everywhere uh you can get from one system to another um by taking the proper vector around any star you'll sort of slingshot yourself to another star um and the valkyries wake up and there are all of these communities that have spread out there's no one unifying body to help them anymore and something weird is happening in the galaxy like something is nibbling away at the edges of reality and um settlements and colonies are going dark for lack of a better term so the valkyries are the ones who are going to go help them and do actual community building but when you can do violence like breathing how do you actually help people so they have all these abilities that are now that makes them the most powerful things around. But the work that they discover they need to do isn't the work of fighting a war. It's the work of rebuilding in the long distant aftermath of one. Um, So 
the archetypes, it, it uses a very similar setup to Ironhead Accelerated. It's based on Fate Accelerated. Okay. Um, but the the archetypes and the powers that you have um, will let you do all kinds of spooky and weird and cool things. There will be a condition to, if you want to do violence to something, there's no die rolls. You just have to mark a box because that's who you are and what you can do. Gotcha. But something about the way the galaxy is now, say you choose to kill someone, you retain a piece of who they are within you because you're a Valkyrie. You're a, you escort things from life into death. Mm-hmm. And the intent of that was one way when they were sort of created, and it's something completely different now. Okay. So the, the outcome is very different. So you have to then live with that for a while. And to recover your powers, you have to engage with these communities, and you have to try and build your own little community of super powerful beings on the ship that you have. So the ship functions like the holdfast functions in Ironhead Accelerated. So it's collaboratively built at the beginning of the session. Everyone feeds into it, who they are, what they do, what past connections they have. And there are a bunch of unanswered questions about their own pasts because they had they knew people 500 years ago who don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they do, and that would be weird, wouldn't it? Um, so uh, the other thing is that rather than have a bunch of stunts or skills or even approaches um, that are static or change a little bit when you advance, Valkyries is going to use uh, gear cards to represent all of those things. Okay. So you change your loadout on the fly a lot like you can in the Borderlands video games. So if you need to converse with someone, you load up the um, uh, the voice modulator that makes you sound more mellifluous and interesting. And that's the gear you take to this encounter. Um, you also will probably encounter like indigenous megafauna that are terrifying and might be attacking a settlement and you have to stop the problem. You could kill it, but then you have to deal with the spiritual impact of that whatever that may mean you don't know mm-hmm. you've heard of this thing before and so there's there may be another way to resolve that problem that doesn't involve the destruction of something that has lived there longer than anyone human on the planet right um so i want it to to sort of be a response to a lot of the sci-fi games that feature people colonizing planets with no ramifications or um you know, I want it to be anti-colonialist and anti-imperialist uh, while still also letting you be an awesome, badass warrior person. But then, much like Ironetta, that power has a price. Like, what's the cost of being that person in a universe that doesn't need you to be that? Like, it's the question of what does the super soldier do after the war, mm-hmm. but well after the war has ended. And it's not the the demolition man uh, answer of oh well, well I guess the world needs my brand of violence now mm-hmm. right? like you have to figure out another way and you have to figure out what to do with yourself as a person who now exists in this space so um, I don't have a, a nice tight elevator pitch for that one yet I'm working on it no but I um, I, I love love the concept I, I love that. If you're going to do violence, that's not a role. That's just something you do. 
but there's a consequence attached. Um, I, I'm, I'm, there's a, there's a couple movies that are floating around, and I'm having trouble grasping them. Though Demolition Man was the one that I kind of thought of, where you are sort of out of time. Uh, you know, you were essentially a weapon of mass destruction in a war or a land of peace, mm-hmm. but you still have to find purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't think there's there's an exploration there. there. There's an interest now. Is is this a game? Well, I'm starting over. So is this something you just started on? How far along the process are you? Like, what's the the end goal? Um, the or the time the, frame, I, I should say. The idea came a few years back, probably two or three. And it's, it's been sort of, it was simmering on the back burner for a while. And then um, the last Gen Con I was able to go to, which was not this past summer, but before, so 2016, I think, um, I met with um, Brennan and Tim from Galileo Games. And I pitched them the idea. And they really liked it. So uh, schedules being what they are, uh, I was supposed to have had my first draft of it done by the end of... 2018 and that just did not happen and um because i had reevaluated some of what i wanted to do because originally the the whole the angle of you can do violence whenever what's the cost was not part of this it was very much a more traditional running gun kind of game where you could swap weapons on the fly because that's that's what borderlands is that's what it does and I started to think about what that meant and what that was like adding to the, the discourse around gun violence and violence in general and what mm-hmm. that what that meant that I thought about violence. And I'm pretty strongly anti-gun. Like they, they bother me a whole lot. And that's a very huge conversation for another time. But suffice it to say that um, I started to get uncomfortable with my own design. And so I, I pitched the idea of nonviolence being the way of the story. Of I wanted that to be the narrative, not having violence be centered. Sure. And um, Brandon and Tim liked that idea, and then I knew I was going to need more time. So uh, I have probably about eight thousand or so words written right now. Um, the main thing I need to do is get the archetypes written and make sure they look good uh my new goal is my new deadline is to have the draft done by the end of june which gives me a chance to write things do a couple of tests here locally flesh out um at least outlines for all the major sections like the setting and how to do the ship creation and what the threats look like um and i'm going to pattern all that off of ironet accelerated so it should come relatively quickly but then i'll take it to origins and give it some live action testing with other people and then incorporate that feedback into the first draft and there will likely be additional rounds of testing and feedback and whatnot but that's the that's the goal okay sounds very cool and again i will be at gen con and you will be at a catacon so perhaps in, in addition to iron edda we might be able to get this to the table um if not with me because i'm very busy at the catacon i'm sure we can find some players who will want to give it a shot yeah we'll see we'll see um that is uh that's always the hope right is that it will be in a place where i can i can bring it and give it a test uh the trick is excuse me it having a lot of cards in it i have to figure out a way to do that 
playtest wise. So it's probably going to be a lot of index cards or I'll prototype a, de a deck or two of, of something real quick and, and just do and print a, a test copy for me on drive through cards mm -hmm. just so I've got them. Yep. Makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I don't know if I'm getting a cold, but I got a tickle. So I keep looking over. I'm, I'm basically muting my microphone before I cough. Sure. Um, I don't know if that's going to cause there to be a pop in the actual audio, but I'm trying to not be rude. So if you see me doing that, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, I haven't heard any pops on my end, so. Perfect. Good. Uh, so we do have a few people that have joined us in chat. Uh, Jen Pixelscapes jumped in. I, she said she had to jump back out, so I don't know if she's still around. Uh, but again, if anyone has any questions they'd like to ask Tracy or myself, it doesn't necessarily have to be related to what we're talking about. It could be really anything. Uh, we'll do our best to answer them. We reserve the right not to if it's something we just don't want to talk about. But for the most part, I think we'll be okay with anything that, that you would come up with. But I'd uh, like to see some people interact, ask some questions. So <clears throat> we already talked a couple times. Um, a catacon. So uh, the, the plan is for you to be there again this year. Unfortunately, last year uh, there were some issues with time off and that kind of stuff, and it just kind of fell apart. Currently, you're on target to be there. In addition to coming as a special guest, you're actually going to head up our Games on Demand program. I am. So if anyone out there is not familiar with Games on Demand, what is that pitch? So Indie Games on Demand is a space where in whatever assigned gaming slot you come to the space where it's set up, you will have uh, an array of uh, indie RPGs to choose from. Um, I'll assemble a group of GMs who are all available at tables. During that slot, everyone will have two games on offer, and everyone who comes will be able to uh, come up and choose a game. Um, they'll range all over the place. It's what the GMs uh, feel like running. Uh, you'll see, you know, Fiasco, a lot of Powered by the Apocalypse games, most likely, some more esoteric indie stuff. People might be playtesting things, but it's a chance to um, discover games that you might not otherwise have a chance to play. Um, it is when I uh, don't just buy a badge, which I think I've only done twice for Origins, um, the way that I engage with that convention is through indie games on demand. Um, I run my 16 hours of games that you need to get a comp badge and um, spend most of my time around there playing games with other people too. Um, so, so it's, it's a really cool space. Um, it has its own uh, code of conduct that is separate from any convention that it's a part of uh, that reinforces that it is, it is an inclusive space that doesn't tolerate bigotry in any form. Um, and that very often reflects the codes of conduct that are already in place, but it's something that um, the people who run Indie Games On Demand feel is very important to reinforce because a lot of creators uh, who participate in Indie Games On Demand at the bigger conventions are from marginalized communities where even though the convention has those things in place, people, may not behave in appropriate ways anyway. And so it's a, a safer space within what is already hopefully a safe space. Gotcha. Um, and uh, the, the hope is that at a catacon, uh, there will be uh, five tables uh, set up with um, two to three gaming slots a day, depending on uh, the, the opening and closing times of the convention mm -hmm. uh, with about an hour in between uh, each slot. 
And so you'll have the opportunity to come during those slots and choose a game and play it with uh, someone who knows it well and have a great time playing a game that you might not might not otherwise play. Yeah, I think I think the concept of games on demands is brilliant. Like uh, the, the people who worked at making that a thing, genius. I'm so glad that they've been able to do that. Um, I've had the chance to play a couple times, but I'm I'm pretty familiar with kind of how it works. Uh, but I think as going into it as a player, if you're not familiar, if you're not already involved in this, uh, the first time I went, I was a little confused by the process. It seems mm-hmm. very simple. But there there can be some complexity. Again, I went to this, I think, at Origins, which is going to be a lot bigger than what we're going to have at Catacon. Um, and essentially, you showed up and you got like a letter, mm-hmm. um, almost like a calling card or a ticket. Yeah. And then they would say, okay, letter P, and you and however many people are in your group go up. And that's at the point where you have a short period of time to look at what's still offered mm-hmm. and decide what you want to play. Uh, so a lot of times the game that you want to play may not be offered or may not be offered now. It may already be full at another table, or there may only be three spots at a table that plays the game, but there's four of you. So you kind of need to go in knowing we may not be able to stay as a group. We're going to get to try a bunch of different stuff. Some of it might be very experimental, very early in testing, very late in testing, polished game, who knows? Um, So pick something that just sounds interesting most of the slots are two hours. So like in a lot of RPGs, there's like a standard four-hour slot. I think Games on Demand is standard two. Um, it depends. Okay. So there will be some that are more, some or less. But it, it can be a short commitment to just try something. And it's also, in a weird way, it's almost like, I, I hate to use the word speed dating, but you're going to get mixed up. You're going to be playing games with maybe people you didn't know you were going to play games with. And it's a great opportunity to not only try new games, but ne- meet new people. Uh, hopefully you will bond over that again, the catacons about bringing people together. So I, I think it's a wonderful thing. I'm so happy that we're going to have it represented and I just hope people embrace it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we tried to do it a, a couple of years ago on our own and it just did not work. And again, that was, I didn't have anyone that that really knew what they were doing to head it up. I was trying to do it in addition to everything else and it just fell through. So I'm super excited and grateful that you've taken that on. I'm so happy that we're going to have it. Uh, space could be an issue. Uh, that's the one thing we got to figure out. Uh, in, you know, in truth, the Kickstarter goes live in like two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, our Kickstarter goal is to rent out the main room. And if anyone who's come to a catacon knows, we have like one giant room that's like the main game room. And then we usually rent out smaller side rooms for like panels and workshops, that kind of thing. And then last year we had the ability, we rented out a second, so like mid-sized room. And that was our um, open game library and just like free play room. Right now, our budget is to just get the big room again. We're not going to do the second middle sized room. So if we don't get enough funds to get the second sized room, everything has to be in the main game room, which means organized play, all of our regular play, our demo people, games on demand, and Contessa are all going to be fighting for space. Um, So hopefully we'll give you all the space you need and then some but we're we'll have to wait and see. But it's going to be yeah. there in some capacity. We just don't know how expansive we're going to be able to be. Yep. And uh, in terms of of like what's on offer and the, I don't want to use the word quality, but the um, the GMs who will be running and the the games they'll be choosing. That's my job to work on curating that and to make sure that all the slots are are covered with as many tables as we have, that every table has a GM, every slot who can run something, that there's always someone who is not me, who is 
at the muster table to answer questions and, and help guide people. It's not as important with uh, for a catacomb as it would be at something like Origins. So it can be a little bit more loose, mm-hmm. uh, which is nice. Uh, but um, I want to make sure that we have all of that stuff covered and we can provide as enriching an experience as possible. So uh, it'll be the first time that I've done this, but I've participated uh, and been affiliated with the organization of games on demand at origins for about five years now. So I've seen a lot of what it go, what goes into it. And I think it's something that we can, we can successfully port over to a catacon again fingers crossed i'm super excited hopefully we can make that happen uh the the kickstarter goes live for us at catacon on march 21st thursday at two o'clock p.m eastern if anyone is thinking about coming to a catacon getting the badge early i know we're you know six seven months away from from the event things can happen but it really is helpful for us if we can fund well in the kickstarter pay for what we have to pay for now and then we can worry about the other stuff as we get closer and continue to sell badges uh so we do offer refunds so up until november 1st if you something changes you get a new job you get married you get divorced have a kid whatever and you just is not going to work out anymore we'll give you your money back up to november 1st minus 10 percent because we lose like 9.7 percent to kickstarter uh when they take their fees so Mm-hmm. 40 bucks will give you 36 back <laughs> you know if you're not able to make it because we want to be as reasonable as possible but we need to make sure that we fund yeah all right um so i wanted to circle back around something jen had mentioned again still don't know if she's here or not um i know you have a patreon that mm-hmm. you do for you and your podcast and then some of the things that you get through the patreon is access to like you write smaller games mm-hmm. um is there anything about valkyrie that's tied to that like people getting to see the design process or, or i guess what well, we start over what do people get if they want to join your patreon and you can include valkyries if it's in there sure uh so there are two distinct tiers uh for two bucks a month you can get the small game that i put out i sell them for five dollars uh minimum on itch.io so you get the game for you know less than than half of what you would normally pay plus because it's a monthly patreon if you sign up for two bucks a month you get all the previous games because they're all just linked there Mm -hmm. at this point in time there are eight of them uh i think i have i I have to write marches yet um but uh that's for two bucks for five dollars you support the other cast which is my rpg actual play podcast uh, we just wrapped up our Dresden Files Accelerated game. Uh, we are on uh, the brink of releasing uh, the start of our Waterdeep Dragon Heist series, uh, which is called um, Waterdeep for a Few Dragons More. <laughs> um, nice. And uh, is going to feature some, some special audio content. Uh, the recap section uh, at the beginning of every episode is going to be a segment from Waterdeep Public Radio. And every time I find myself uh, practicing for what that's going to sound like, well, don't you know, it sounds just like this. And there's a big breeze coming off of Waterdeep Harbor right now. Just to watch yourself because it might feel cool outside, but the sun is a dinger. Like <laughs> that's what comes out of my mouth. So it, I think that's what it's going to end up being. Um, and uh, so you get um, outtakes from every episode uh, that we do. Uh, and then as well, any bonus episodes, one shots that the group plays. Um, and as well, there is another podcast that is going to launch within the next month or so uh, that I'm doing with uh, Kate Bowie, who is uh, an amazing, uh, an amazing mind. 
It's called Another Blank Page, and it is a world-building podcast where we are going to start episode one with a snapshot of one single moment in time of a goblin living in their house in a city in the setting someplace. And we will describe everything that is going on in that moment. And anything that we describe that is interesting to us, we're sort of going to highlight like an aspect in fate or like a link to another blank page on a wiki. And then in subsequent episodes, either we or the audience will look at those highlighted things and pick one. And that's what the next episode will be about. Okay. And we'll do the same thing at the exact same moment in time. What does this space look like? Who's in it and what's going on? And then we highlight more things and we slowly build the world out from that. Okay. Um, we, we did our pilot uh, episode with um, just the two of us seeing if we could figure this thing out and make sure it works. And it was really super good. It's a, it's a horror setting that we will probably come back to again, as Patreon content. So mm-hmm. the pilot will, will go to patrons. Um, but then episode one will air. Um, we're recording it on Monday. So, um, so yeah, that's going to launch uh, $5 a month on the Patreon. We'll get you access to outtakes from that as well as the, the pilot and any secret stuff we do. Um, if you do more than that, I'm still really trying to figure out what else I'm going to give you, but you get the games and the podcast content. Um, that's at $10 a month. And then I have a few people who are actually giving even more than that. And I'm flummoxed as to what to do quite yet, because I only have so much time in the day to figure out right. what to generate. I'm just grateful for them. Um, so, so yeah, I'm constantly working on building more value, uh, into the Patreon. Um, so the new podcast is going to help out a lot with that, I think, cause it's a very fan engaging, uh, mm-hmm. kind of venture. So, so yeah, um, that's, that's the Patreon. The small games have been a really rewarding outlet for me. Uh, and I don't include in-progress stuff like Valkyries in the Patreon because I generally do that kind of design work in public anyway. Okay. So um, it's going to be next week that I like really dive in to working on Valkyries during the time to work that I have. Um because I've had other freelance stuff to get done and other stuff to get off my plate. And I'm just going to throw the link up to the Google doc and anyone who wants to take a look at it while I'm working on it can take a look at it while I'm working on it. Okay. I've live streamed myself writing on Twitch, which I'm sure is about as exciting <laughs> as watching paint dry. But I've done it. Um, so uh, public design is a very important thing uh, to me. Like I, I like people to know that they can, take chances and do things and not be scared of showing off in progress stuff because I think that helps people get over that fear a little bit. Um, Cause you're not immediately going to be destroyed by critics that are waiting out there in the wings just to pounce upon you. Mm-hmm. Um, this, I don't know if it's sad, but the honest reality is most people just don't care. And so why not show off, stuff that has warts on it. Why not take a chance that someone will point something out and, Hey, maybe your game becomes better because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is, is it serves as a form of marketing too. If I'm like, Hey, I'm working on Valkyries, right? People then know that's a thing mm-hmm. and they can check it out and it builds that pre momentum. Now I will say the caveat to all of this is I am a white masculine presenting person 
that comes with a lot of privilege and shield from a lot of the criticism that might come or trolling or other awful heinous things if uh you are not those things if you're from a marginalized community stay safe above all else Mm -hmm. um don't don't heed my post you're in progress stuff uh to the point where you put yourself in danger because that's not worth it like your, your safety is worth more and i wish i didn't have to give a caveat like that um, but I feel like I would be remiss if I just assumed that everyone could do that thing because yeah. I can do it. And appreciate it because, you know, it is the, the world that we live in currently um, an upset. So, yeah. um, so people want to support you on Patreon. It's patreon.com. The other Tracy slash Tracy Barnett. Okay. So it's Tracy yeah. Barnett. Again, yeah. send me a link. I'll throw that in the show notes for the audio only version. Um, now you mentioned these, the, the monthly games. Can you give us an example of one? Just so I kind of know what, what, what we would be getting there. Oh yeah. They are all over the place. Um, <laughs> because, because they're small, they're usually um, in a six by nine format. They're at most like 12 pages long. And uh, so I can give you a quick rundown. Uh, I have written, uh, one about what happens uh, in uh, to you as a fantasy adventurer when you're hanging out in the tavern between adventures. Okay. I wrote an homage to the Fast and the Furious movies called Gasbound. Um, I wrote a game about being a bro who hunts ghosts, bro. Uh, that's called Ghost Hunters. Okay. Uh, I wrote a game called Draw a Bath for Your Love, which is uh, a single player game or more if you don't create a fictional person and you actually engage in a, in with a real person in this, but it's about finding something that the person you love cares about and actually practically caring for them so they can relax and, and feel good for a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote a game called neon sundown. That it's about uh, cool talking, hip shooting, rhinestone, cowboy bounty hunters. And uh, in, uh, I forget it's a Las Vegas analog is for the name of the city. But they're all over the place. It's it's really just what I feel uh, like writing uh, at any point in time. Uh, what I feel like I can put into mechanics that convey enough of the feeling that I want that I can uh, write in enough time to get one done a month and that I can do the layout and the art for because I do the whole shebang. Okay. Um, so I had one lined up for this month uh, called Devil's Night that – uh, was a game about you playing demons who either tempt or punish people who are leaving the bar after last call. And conceptually, it was very interesting. And then I started to think about all the things that a demon might actually tempt someone to do or punish someone for. And I got really squicked out. And I decided that it was probably not a game I needed to write. Okay. Um, so I think March's game is going to be called Rocket Penguins. <laughs> it's going to be different about, tone there. Yeah. It's going to be about um, aerialist penguins uh, who uh, use uh, rocket packs and come together at the uh, FU Ice Hole uh, Roasted Fish, Annual Roasted Fish Extravaganza. Like I had a whole name for it. But yeah, that's so yeah, I think I'm going to write that next instead. All right. Again. Seems like a much lighter, funner, more fun uh, experience. Though, you know, I, I think there's still, as someone who, in, who enjoys in some places exploring darker aspects, I, I think, you know, the other game, there's an itch that it could scratch 
within the realm of it being fantasy and not reality. But I can also understand that sometimes, you know, again, you be the change you want to see in the world. And if you would rather there be more rocket penguins in the world than uh, mm-hmm. bad things, go for it. And it sounds fun. The ice hole makes me laugh. So there you go. Yep. <laughs> nice. All right. So again, so that's pa- uh, patreon.com slash Tracy Barnett. The mm-hmm. podcast is The Other Cast, which is iTunes and Google Play and all the regular. Yep, and it's, it's all jammed together. So it's all one all one word, The Other Cast. The Other Cast. Excellent. All right. Well, I think that's all the questions that I had. Is there anything else you want to chat about? Uh, we'll throw it out to our chat once again. If there's any questions anyone has for Tracy or myself, doesn't have to be about anything we've talked about so far. Uh, but while we're waiting for that to catch up, one more time, where can people find you? And then again, if you have anything you want to talk about, I'm here. Sure. Uh, so online, you can basically find me as the other Tracy in most instances, uh, the Patreon notwithstanding. Uh, that's T-R-A-C-Y. Uh, so that's me on Twitter. That's my website, theothertracy.com. Uh, my itch.io page is theothertracy.itch.io. Um, and uh, yeah, I am always happy to talk about the things I'm working on, if people have questions about IronNet Accelerated, if they have questions about Valkyries, if they want to know about, you know, I don't know, anything, like, go ahead and talk to me. I, I generally like to respond to people. So, um, so yeah, uh, I'm on Twitter a lot. Uh, I think um, more so in the, in the past two days because of the launch of, of Ironetta, uh, I did a, a giveaway where anyone who retweeted my original tweet about the game yesterday morning uh, got entered into a drawing for a signed copy of the book. And I also uh, drew a rune for them and used the interpretations of the runes that I use in Ironetta to sort of do a, a small rune casting for them. Okay. And between yesterday and today, I did 249. Oh, okay. Of those. So that was most of my yesterday <laughs> was, was doing that. Um, and in my breaks, I uh, put in edits on uh, an alternate history Iron Edda setting that I wrote for somebody else's Kickstarter, where Ragnarok stalls out and it turns into a non-colonialist version of the Wild West, um, with with rune-scribed weapons and and uh, you know, you know the seventh son of the seventh son having inherited the spirit of the dead giant, um, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, oh. The other thing that I'm working on, I, I'd almost forgotten about this. I am in the process of putting together a small games anthology. Okay. Um, I got the idea a couple of weeks ago and I tweeted about it and it got a lot of response. So I figured, okay, well, I might as well see what could come of this. So I put together a Discord server and uh, sent the link out. And as of, uh, as of broadcast date, uh, that server has... Oh, something on the order of 60 people who are part of it. Um, and I have uh, put together some possible themes for the first anthology of the first collection, and people are voting on those right now. And then what I plan on doing um, once I figure out what the theme of the first one is going to be is taking uh, pitches from people who are on the server saying, okay, well, I have a game that I want to write that does this or a game that I've written but not published that falls into this category mm-hmm. and choosing uh, the four that I think I, li- I like the most or are the most evocative. And I'm going to work with those people to put together the first anthology. 
and then I'll take the second most voted theme and probably make a second one out of it and so on and so forth because I'm going to have plenty of people to work with. Yeah, sounds like um, Yeah, the goal is to make the each quartet um, as diverse as possible. So I like I only want one cis white dude on in each one. Um, and if I can get you know multiple people of color, I want different perspectives basically. And the plan is then to uh, just do digital versions of them, just like uh, a, a digital zine, for example. Uh, but then with the Kickstarter that I would have to run for it, um, pay everyone a rate that is equivalent to 10 cents a word. So the games would be like no longer than, than say, I, I forget what the, the math was, but um, if I pay X amount of money flat for the game, don't write more than this, than Y number of words. So your word rate stays right. nice and high. Um, and then um, after publication, myself and the quartet would each split all the proceeds 20% a piece. So everyone has a collective stake of equal amount in the success of whatever the anthology is. Uh, and then for stretch goals, if the Kickstarter would do well, all I would do is pay people more. I'm not going to add more art. I'm not going to make a print copy. I'm just going to pay people more for their work because I think that um, payment rates in tabletop role-playing games are super ridiculously low. Uh, it is very difficult to make it a sustainable way of life um, financially. And I don't want that to be the case anymore. There are a lot of people who are doing better work than me along that, those lines, but this is a thing that I feel like I can do, which will uh, help in whatever little way it can. So, so is the um, discord still open or can more people join? Yeah, the discord's still open. Um, and I'll, I'll drop you a link to that, uh, as well. Perfect. Um, yeah, it's, it's basically a publicly accessible space. As long as you're interested in small games, whether or not you want to participate necessarily, or you just want to be part of that, uh, apparently now growing community, that's fine. Um, you can just be there as long as you are not going against the, the terms of being a member of that server, you're good to go. Excellent. Because I, I believe in things being transparent uh, as much as I can. So, so yeah, among all the other stuff that I'm doing, I'm also <laughs> doing a, a small games anthology because why not? Again, why yeah. not? Um, but yeah, I, the, the, the trick that I found, I used to load myself up with projects and I just get, burned out when I got burned out, I'd feel ineffective. When I felt ineffective, my recourse was, well, I need to do more work and I'd pick something else to do. Um, with the new podcast that I'm starting with Kate and this anthology project, I, I think I'm finding ways to do them that, uh, fit within the mold of the rest of the work that I'm doing. So the cognitive load of them is not, huge mm -hmm. right the work i had to do for the anthology this week was to come up with four themes that everyone could vote on that was the work of 15 to 30 minutes and then i posted them and now people are voting right when it comes to the time to take pitches i have a pitch window open when that closes i'll review the pitches and then i'll choose the four people and i'll say okay here's your deadline for this i'll edit the games run the Kickstarter, which will be small and tight, like maybe two weeks, mm -hmm. and and get it done. I, I'm going to make sure that I'm not overburdening myself 
with with any one thing. Um, so uh, hopefully I'm able to continue doing that so I can keep doing many things because many things equals multiple possible streams of revenue, which is what you have to do to have a shot at making uh, a living in, in tabletop RPGs, mm -hmm. which is my ultimate goal. So, Well, we certainly yeah. wish you the most success here. Um, you. Once you get further along the process and comes time for Kickstarter, please let us know. We can do what we can to support that as well. Uh, and there very well might be some people that I know that might be interested in participating, having some pitches sure for thing. you. So I will send some people your way as well. Um, so the last thing before we wrap up, I think we've already touched on it, but convention appearances, you're going to be at Origins in June. You're going to be at uh, Gen Con. Is, is it late August, early August this year? I it's, never... early August, it's early August this year. All right. yeah. And then at Catacon in November, are you going to be anywhere else if people want to try to meet up with you? Um, if I'm going to be at anywhere else, it's going to be a last minute kind okay. of thing. Um, I really want to attend Breakout Con at some point in time. I've heard nothing but great things about that, but that's next week and it's in Toronto. So that is a non-starter for this year. Yeah. Um, uh, but um, yeah, those will be the main ones. Um, a Catacon and Origins are probably the ones where if you want to like have a chance to hang out and chat, those are the easiest ones. Mm -hmm. I don't have anything scheduled for Gen Con yet, but Gen Con is just so big that trying to carve out space is difficult. Yep. I, so. Yeah. In, in space that you have and then the other person also has at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's pretty difficult. So, Tracy, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Uh, best of luck with and continued success with Iron Edda and then Valkyries and all the other things that you're doing. Thank um, you. We're happy here to support you as best we can. Um, you know, just by the nature of how it has worked out, you know, I'm straight white dude, but we've always tried to promote inclusivity in the podcast. We want people to play games. I don't care who you are. Play mm -hmm. some games, get involved. Um, so one of the ways that we can do that is support other people who are um, from marginalized communities or who are doing a better job of promoting them. We promote them and, you know, and do what we can. So happy to have you on anytime for anything you want to talk about. Uh, but for now, we will say goodbye. Thank you to everyone that was in chat for a little while. Thank yeah, you. Thanks, chat. Yeah, anyone in the future who's listening, uh, please go find Tracy and their work at the other Tracy or patreon.com slash Tracy Barnett. So with that, we will do an awkward wave out and say goodbye as Bye. I look for the stop streaming button, which is.